Well, here we are, as Anna says. Did you have your nap? <laughs> this is ordinarily my nap time. <laughs> but uh, because you're here. <laughs> In my house when I was growing up after Thanksgiving dinner, everybody went to sleep. You know. <laughs> Which is always a relief. <laughs> <laughs> you know, family. <laughs> Being uh, 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 an elder Dharma teacher, giving Dharma talks, is really a strange thing to do because as you get older on this path, and uh, practice has accumulated over the years, you realize not just the words, but you have the experience of not knowing anything. (laughs) And so the Dharma talks become about nothing. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) Which is where it all leads anyway. (laughs) and then the really shocker comes is when you you watch your ego and it wants more of nothing (laughs) it'll do anything (laughs) so what to talk about my my first teacher was Fritz Perls I considered him a spiritual teacher because he was a outrageous, crazy wisdom, Zen master kind of person who insulted everybody within a hundred yards. <laughs> he always used to say to me, and, the, and actually these were his only instructions, uh, go with what's obvious. Think about that. <laughs> then the my question was, well, how do you tell what's obvious? And then he said, because it's obvious. <laughs> so I'd like to talk about our practice from that point of view. Because uh, meditation practice, spiritual practices, the Buddha's teachings, any f- philosophical approach to life can become very convoluted and uh, complicated and confusing and every once in a while it's necessary to to do Occam's razor and peel away the froth and find out what it is that's obvious. When you come into a situation like this and you sit down and close your eyes It becomes very obvious, as uh, Anna was saying last night, that there is a lot of thought, there's a lot of thinking going on. Now, thought is, is a very uh, mysterious kind of phenomenon. When you really consider the thinking process, There are these uh, things that, uh, they're not even things, what are they? That come out of nowhere and sweep through your mind. And uh, they have all this power for us. We're attracted to them, we're repulsed by them. But whatever your reaction to them, the reaction is strong. And they have a a power over us that's quite life-determining. What are they, really? When you come into this situation, what's obvious is when you look inside is that there's a lot of confusion. 
And it's true for everyone. It's not just you. A lot of jumbling of, of random thinking. Every once in a while we try to grab hold of it and do a linear sequence and make it make sense for us. But that gets tiring and then we stop and it becomes random again. And If you really examine the content of the what goes through your mind, it's, it can be quite bizarre and, and uh, mostly irrelevant about anything, you know, except for one thing. It all relates to you. <laughs> Every thought is about me. I want to define a term here before I go much further. And I, I've, I've recently become quite jaded with the word ego or the ego self. It means so many different things now. And um, I like to substitute uh, el yo. In Spanish, el yo translates as the me. Now the way, now the reason I, I say that is that, that I want to do that is because I, I find it easier to think of what it is that's going on or to uh, even have awareness about what's going on if I use the term el yo and relate it to thought. El yo is the one who thinks. Elio is uh, uh, an incredibly unique process in the mind because uh, it always, Elio, and Elio is not feminine or masculine, it's the article, the mind. Elio always um, is related to something other. It, uh, it uh, is always about me and my relationship to something else. Relationship to the dog, relationship to lunch, relationship to your zafu, your history, your mother, your father. The thinking that is the primary function, process of el yo, is always... Uh, concerning oneself and other. And it's noisy. Takes up a lot of space. Chogum Trungpa used to say that, uh, repeatedly used to say, that thinking is the ego or Elio's foot soldiers and emotions are the Elio's generals. Hmm? That's nice. I, I think it's absolutely descriptive. So Elio is always thinking about something. And it, as I said, it doesn't have to be about anything in particular. What goes through your mind is uh, random. As a matter of fact, quite confusing. Now, what is emotion is another strange phenomenon because emotion is not only the thought that's going through your mind, but it's combined with a lot of body feeling. So mostly when a thought goes in the mind, bloop, 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 it isn't something you can experience at all. You can't experience a thought. You do experience reaction to the thought. And very often that reaction is emotionally tinged, sadness, Anger, jealousy, fear. 
El yo. Busy all the time. What it's busy doing is scanning the horizon, looking for something different all the time. Something that's compared to this moment, another moment, perhaps, or some kind of improvement over this moment. Always the radar is scanning for difference, change, looking for threat, looking for where the possibilities of satisfying desire are. Always, always busy. Now, when the Buddha said in his enlightenment, after his enlightenment, that he noticed that the humankind is awash in uh, a sea of ignorance. He was talking about the fact that we all have bought on to the idea that Elio is us, who we are. And so therefore the ignorance he's speaking of is that attachment to the me and not knowing who we really are. If it's true that Elio is the, the purveyor of thought, and I think it is, and you look at it very closely in your practice, you begin to notice that the thoughts don't belong to you. They're not yours. You can't control them. If they were yours, you could control them. They're uncontrollable. They don't belong to you. You didn't ever create them. You know, you don't create those things, those little bleep, bleep, bleeps that go through there any more than you create your fingers or your eyeballs. It's the same. They just occur. It's a great mystery. It's really a strange mystery. How they occur out of nowhere and pass through your awareness and then disappear into nowhere. And if your practice gets deep enough, you can actually watch that happen. It's possible to see a thought blossom like a flower, pass through your, over your radar screen and disappear. And then there will be some that you will get interested in and go chasing them, of course. And we've been talking about that. Or some that are really insulting and, you know, you don't want to have anything to do with them. You've had a few of those, haven't you? (laughs) The dark ones. Mm -hmm. But if you try to find out where they come from or how they're constructed, you can't do that. So consider the possibility that I'm suggesting that they're not yours. Not yours. You've been sitting here looking at that stuff for days now and it doesn't even belong to you. (laughs) Wow. Having all these reactions, weeping, getting angry, chewing on it all, deciding to do something to fix it, and it has nothing to do with anything that's really you, actually. Now that can open up a whole can of worms, because if they're not yours, (laughs) and I have gone there a few times, 
maybe there's some diabolical pump somewhere <laughs> that's throwing these things into your mind. Looking to see if you'll bite. And we do, don't we? We bite. El yo is thinking and feeling. El yo is always concerned with self and other. Always busy. And making a lot of noise. Very noisy. Bull in the china shop kind of thing, you know. Every time El Yo swishes his tail, all those china cups go crashing down, you know. And we take it all very, very seriously because we have been conditioned to believe that they are us. But what's really obvious when you're sitting, is that you, you can't control them. It's just happening. So then, what's left for us is to be the witnesses of this, since you can't make it go away. And that pump somewhere is, is determined to keep you amused and maybe determined to keep you enslaved in samsara. With thoughts of sexuality, money, power, revenge, (laughs) self-aggrandizement. Only mostly you'll notice that there is, uh, Elio has a, a, an adversarial kind of um, reaction to thought. Looks at what you're thinking is um, uh, something to struggle against, mostly. And the thoughts themselves are adversarial. More often than not, they're, they're, uh, critical of you. I mean, it isn't very often in these last few days that you've been sitting here thinking, man, I am far out. <laughs> Look at the way I can meditate. <laughs> Maybe I'll be a guru. People will flock to me because I'm so great. That doesn't happen much. (laughs) You know what it mostly is. You're a jerk. (laughs) Inadequate. Not worthwhile. Elio worries a lot about whether it's worthwhile or not. Good enough. That's part of the noise. And the more we are hooked into it, the more we have to work hard to prove that it isn't true. And of course, that's impossible. Because every time Elio has a success, it lasts about three seconds. And you're back into inadequacy again. Now, that's enslavement. I don't think there's anyone who's consistently not up to it, really. So thought is obvious when you're practicing. And it's really important. I mean, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough. It's important to know when thought is occurring. It's important to know that a thought is a thought. Now I say that that way because in my work over the years as a psychiatrist and physician, Dharma teacher, I've noticed that 
very few people really know their thinking. It, that so caught up in the, the process that thought happens without discrimination. It's just a constant reacting to it. Unless you can identify thinking as thinking, the situation's hopeless. But once you can notice, oh, that's a thought, and you don't have to be swept up by the, what it's about, the story, there's a possibility of becoming free of the attachment to it, a possibility. The other obvious thing in, when you're sitting here and doing this practice is the, the feelings in the body. In fact, you know, that for, for many of you, that might come first. Those first couple of days, everything hurts, right? Discomfort. Sensations are arising all the time in the bioenergetic form that we we operate from like a, a, a fountain constantly pouring out sensations life force manifesting and those sensations have been described to you there aren't really that many kinds there there are the pressure sensations and you can feel them right now it's wherever you're your corpus is touching the uh, solidity of something, there's a pressure sensation there, a lot of them. And we take them for granted, just like we take the breath for granted. But actually, when you direct attention to the pressure sensations, that's a very powerful maneuver because they happen now. They don't happen any other time and you can experience them like you can't experience a thought. You can personally have a relationship to those sensations. They're real. Vibration, heat, cold, twisting, tension, contraction, pleasure, bubbling, expansiveness, various kinds of of pains. The variety of pain is, oh, well, I'm talking to the choir here. You know. Now, a good way to, to contemplate sensations of what they are is to realize that the Buddha taught that they are the manifestation in this on this plane, the material plane, of the elements that compose your the physical form. Pressure, pressure sensations, earth, the earth element dancing. Pain, fire element. Cold also, and heat, fire element. Vibration, air, expansiveness. Sense of solidity, weight, cohesiveness, water element. So all the while we're sitting here feeling this ever-present fountain of coming into being, bubbling, bubbling elements, dancing, 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 we are in touch with what he called ultimate reality. All we can know of ultimate reality in this world are, are the elements that compose all material things, make up all material things, including these bodies. Now, one way we get uh, involved in that level of attention is through the breath. When you're paying attention to breath, 
you're really paying attention to the movement sensations in the body, the sensations of the movement of the in and out, the inhalation and exhalation of the breath. You're feeling something. And that's very real. We, we say pay attention to the breath because it's happening all by itself and you don't have to do it. Or you don't, you're not supposed to think you have to do it. But that becomes an issue too when we're trying to control it. And the sensations that are breath are the same kinds of sensations of the dancing of the elements. They, you become familiar with the, the body life through the breath. But it has an added side effect, a benefit, in that really being attentive to sensations distracts the attention from the constant flow of those thoughts going through. The physical sensations, because you can experience them, it's possible to turn toward them and not be so fixed on thinking. And in the process of doing that, the thoughts become more obvious for to be what they are. Thinking is thinking is thinking. You see how that works? If you're sitting and you're confused with a, I mean, that pumper, is, that guy who's pumping the things in there is, is working overtime and you're really confused and there's a, you're swimming in thought, if you, can, if you can grasp the importance of turning to what's obvious, the pressure sensations, for instance, or the movement of breath, the thoughts fade in their importance. And the side effect that, that I mentioned is that actually the mind then, because of the focusing, becomes more quiet. If you're not being swept away by all the cacophony, then a kind of peacefulness begins to settle. And you're really into your practice then. It's no longer, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this, I'm thinking this, and oh, what are, you know, what's for lunch, and I didn't get sleep last night, and that dream I had was really disturbing, and I wonder if I should work on it. I'll remember it for my therapist. I should write it down. And all of that isn't happening. <laughs> There's the possibility of feeling into the moment and where life is occurring because the sensations are life too. Very much so. Life itself. A kind of quiet is possible then. And if you really keep at it, the quiet can deepen, the silence can deepen so much that you begin to see more clearly, even when your eyes are closed. You begin to see all the energetic patterns of life, colors, shapes. It's like looking through the Hubble telescope, actually. One time, Tiji came down to Todos Santos and he had a slideshow of photos from the, uh, through the, the telescope, the Hubble t telescope. We looked at those and I said, oh, that's what you see when you close your eyes. <laughs> Only it's out there instead of in here. So out there and in here are maybe the same, you know. <laughs> also, you begin to hear in that silence, listening into the silence. Now, looking into the silence and listening into the silence are actually very ancient spiritual practices, very much so. My first teacher taught me a mantra, 
We, we didn't work with breath. We worked with mantra, but it's the same process, only it's mental. I was so mental that I... Breath? You know, what's that? But I could relate to the mantra because it's thought. The mantra tuned me, my awareness into that sound, of the sound of silence. And, and all of my life since then, it's been 40 years almost, I guess 40 years, I have been fascinated by that sound because it has no agenda and it comes from somewhere deep, deep inside. And it's always present, the sound of silence. Consistently so. And in, I've researched it in all the, in, in the Sufi poets speak of it. And they call it the sound. Or they call it the comforter. The comforter. When you hear that sound in the silence, immediately your heart rests. The comforter. It's only in present time. And it doesn't have anything to do with changing you or helping you or diminishing you. It simply is, 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 is. Eckhart Tolle, you know that guy? To meet everything and everyone through stillness instead of mental noise is the greatest gift you can give to the universe. I call it stillness, but it is a jewel with many facets, and that's so true. That stillness is also joy, and it is love. So that level of quiet in your mind begins to tune your curiosity and your awareness into the something more is going on in there or here or out there. There are, there are the sensations and there are the thoughts and then things quiet down and you've sensed it. Many, many, many times. Maybe you do frequently every day. There's something more happening in the silence, in the, in the quietude. Something greater. Now, let's give that a name like El Yo. El Yo is the thinker, the doer the one who worries and does the business of everyday life, let's call the something greater the openness. You can call it uh, the wakefulness because it has that quality. You can call it the uh, emptiness. You can call it the aliveness. Buddhists call it Emptiness, often, nothing. I like that word openness because when that is present for you in, in awareness, there is an experience of vast release and openness that comes automatically. You've, you've experienced it, I know. El Yo is taking a break somewhere. Doesn't stop, but you know, he's not quite so noisy. The openness now is, is it, last night, Anna's exercise was about what I'm speaking of. I am Robert sitting here. El yo. I am Robert sitting. El yo. I am 
要用。爱Filling of the heart with love. Peace that passes understanding. Here, now. How could we do anything else? And then if you're not used to that openness, the openness, it can, get, it can be freaky. And now, I, how many have experienced the freaky? Yeah. Yeah. A few hands. Yeah. It gets very scary because that openness doesn't say anything, it doesn't do anything, it isn't located anywhere, it doesn't want anything from you, it doesn't take anything from you, it has no color or qualities, it's totally innocent, innocent. When openness is here, total authenticity, you're authentic. There is no doubt. There is no question. There is no, in where I come from, no problema. <laughs> there is just this. And living more and more and more in that brings meaning to the word unimaginable unimaginable not just unthinkable unimaginable not anything we're used to and yet what everyone's looking for what everyone is looking for I know the way you can get when you've not had a drink of love. Your face hardens. Your sweet muscles cramp. Children become concerned about a strange look that appears in your eyes, which even begins to worry your own mirror and your nose. Hafiz. Squirrels and birds sense your sadness and call an important conference in a tall tree. They decide which secret code to chant to help your mind and soul. Even angels fear that brand of madness that arrays itself against the world and throws sharp stones and spears into the innocent and into oneself. Oh, I know the way you can get if you've not been drinking love. You might rip apart every sentence your friends and your teachers say looking for hidden clauses. <laughs> you might weigh every word on a scale like a dead fish. <laughs> you might pull out a ruler to measure from every angle in your darkness the beautiful dimensions of a heart you once trusted. Mm. I know the way you can get if you've not had a drink from love's hands. That is why all the great ones speak of the vital need to keep remembering God so you will come to know and see him as being so playful 
and wanting, just wanting to help. And this is why Hafiz says, bring your cup near me, for I am a sweet old vagabond with an infinite leaking barrel of light and laughter and truth that the beloved has tied to my back. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Dear one, indeed, please bring your heart near me, for all I care about is quenching your thirst for freedom. All a sane man can ever care about is giving love. I should shut up. (laughs) Really, huh? So you see the progression. Identifying thoughts. Not believing them. Don't believe one of them. Not one. They're all scoundrels. (laughs) Not one. You can test it. Byron Katie is this teacher, non-dual teacher. She's wonderful. She has this system of uh, a thought comes and you do inquiry. And her inquiry is, is it true? Can you prove that it's true? No. How do you feel when you have it? You know, crappy. How would it be, how would you be without it? I am Robert sitting here. (laughs) You see how obvious it is, how totally clear and obvious it is. That's what we are swimming in all the time. Elios, fellow Elios, your me's, your me's are at war with this a good deal, too. We're always quarreling with reality. And as soon as that happens, suffering. Simply habits. So, you all came here to break your habit. And it's happening, actually. You may not even know that, but it is. Elio. Now, please don't come away from this evening thinking I'm trashing Elio. I love Elio. (laughs) With a passion. Gets us through. But much overdone. At any moment you can say to yourself, how is the openness feeling about this moment? What's openness's relation to this thought? Try it. What's openness feeling or doing or how is openness experiencing this? Well, and when the the moment you do that, it opens. You are there. And then you, now you also notice that if you're there for a little while, Elio takes a hold of your string, pops your balloon, and pulls you back where you belong. Right. And that goes on all the time. Openness, close. Openness, close. Hmm? That's the rhythm of our life. 
That's how it works. Ah, teacher that I'm admiring very much these days, Adyashanti. Awakeness is inherent in all things and all beings everywhere all the time. All the time. When you're on the toilet, when you're sleeping, when you're angry, when you're worried, awakeness, openness is operating all the time. This awakeness relates to every moment from innocence, from absolute honesty, from a state where you feel absolutely authentic. Only from this state do you realize that you never really wanted whatever you thought you wanted. You realize that behind all of your desires was a single desire to experience each moment from your true nature. You find that simply walking outside and seeing a leaf in the breeze or seeing a street person on the corner is the most exquisite of experiences. You don't need anything big. Each moment has a beauty all its own. Even the ugly moments have a beauty when experienced from this innocence, this beautifully disarming state of awakeness. So he's saying that when the freak comes and you start to be uncomfortable with the openness, if you can remember, how is the openness experiencing this? And immediately you realize, oh, it's enjoying it. I've been testing it. It's true. It's enjoying it. Even the pain. So, dear ones, I'd like to... I have so many things here that I I have to choose from now. (laughs) Two, uh, Two. Are you okay with this? <clears throat> this from the and because of the the dinner the lunch today the theme this from the uh, Hopi the American Hopi Indians you may have heard this it was one of those things that got around <clears throat> to my fellow swimmers there is a river flowing now very fast it is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will be torn apart and suffer greatly. Know that the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off until the middle of the river, keep our heads above water, and see who is there with you to celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey come to a halt. The time, I love this, the time of the lone wolf is over. So gather yourselves. Vanish the word struggle from your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Wow. And I can't resist this one. And I'll end with this, I promise. We have come to be danced, not the pretty dance, not the pretty, pretty, pick me, pick me dance, (laughs) but the claw our way back into the belly of the sacred, sensual animal dance, the unhinged, unplugged cat is out of its box dance, the holding the precious moment in the palms of our hands and feet dance. 
We've come to be danced, not the jiffy booby shake your booty for him dance, but the ring the sadness from our skin dance and blow the chip off our shoulder dance, the slap, the apology, the apology from our posture dance. We've come to be danced, not the monkey see, monkey do dance, one, two, dance like you, one, two, three, dance like me dance, but the grave robber, tomb stalker, tearing scabs and scars open dance, the rub the rhythm raw against our soul dance. Pretty powerful stuff, huh? We have come to be danced. Not the nice, inevitable, self-conscious shuffle, but the matted hair flying voodoo mama, shaman, shaken, ancient bones dance. The strip us from our casings, return our wings, sharpen our claws and tongues dance. The shed dead cells and slip into the luminous skin of love. Oh, the luminous skin of love dance. We have come to be danced, not to hold our breath and wallow in the shallow end of the floor dance, but the meeting of the Trinity, the body, breath, and beat dance, the about hallelujah from the top of our thighs dance, the mother may I, you may, you may take ten giant leaps dance, the alley, alley, oxen, free, free, free dance, The everyone can come to our heaven, dance. We've come to be danced where the kingdoms collide in the cathedral of flesh. To burn back into the light, to unravel, to play, to fly, to pray, to root in skin, sanctuary. Ooh, to root in skin, sanctuary. We have come to be danced. Oh yeah, we have come. Oh, yes, Jewel Matheson. She's a dancer. (laughs) Jewel Matheson, pretty far out. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for all of your attention.